0: So Mark chapter 2, we'll start at verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and, was teach- and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. For many positions, there's usually an initial application that you fill out, and then if they approve your application or like your application, then there's an interview. And so you go to the interview, and then a number of questions could be asked. But there are some questions that are more difficult questions to answer than others. Uh, A website called Glassdoor.com put together the toughest interview questions that they could come up with. And these are all true interview questions. One interview question for the senior vice president job at Accenture said, what were your thoughts about Barack Obama's decision to bring a virtual academic to the stand for the Supreme Court? An interview question for a vice president position at Barclays Capital said, there are nine balls, one of which is lighter than the others. How would you find the lighter ball in two tries? Another question, if you had two uh, had two six-sided dice, what's the probability you get a seven? Another question, how many dogs in the world have the exact same number of hairs? Another question, why was your GPA not a 4.0? Another question, having an infinite supply of water in two containers, one for three liters and one for five liters, how would you measure four liters? Next question, interesting question. Who would you fire right now? Next question. You have 200 goldfish, two piranhas. How many goldfish should the piranhas eat to have 99% goldfish in the tank? Three Three groups of different colored socks, something like 21 blue, 14 red, 18 green. If you're in the dark and can't see, how many socks will you need to pull out to make sure you get a matching pair? Another question, how many barbershops are there in America? Another question, how many ball bearings, 1 inch in diameter, can you fit into a 747 aircraft? Frog is at the bottom of a 30 meter well. Each day he summons enough energy for one 3 meter leap jump jump up the well. Exhausted, he then hangs there for the rest of the day. At night, while he's asleep, he slips 2 meters backwards. How many days does it take him to escape from the well? Would you rather sell a deal for a large amount of money and walk away or receive less and have a partner for 10 years? And then the final question, very insightful question, how do they get the M on the (laughs) M&Ms? Something everybody's probably wondered at one time or another. Well, I guess the reason that they ask these questions, even questions that don't necessarily have an answer, uh, is to kind of see how people respond to the question, see if they start to get agitated to see if they start to get rattled or if they can handle the pressure. And so they ask these questions, some of them difficult, and some of the most uh, successful firms in America have a very strict interview process to get a job. For example, uh, about 2 million people, over 2 million people are estimated to apply to work at Google each year Although applicants only have about a 400 to 1 chance of actually getting a job. So imagine if you are the Son of God and you're stru- trying to start a worldwide movement, a movement that would touch the ends of the earth. What kind of people would you want? What kind of people would you choose? You might ask, or you might look for people who would never let you down, people of integrity people you could count on, people who were honest. What kind of questions would you ask that person? You might ask their understanding of the Torah, the Jewish law. You might ask about their family background, their heritage, their pedigree. You might ask what kind of skills they had to further your mission. But Jesus doesn't do any of those things. He completely upends our expectations and transforms what it means to be a disciple. And so we see in this passage three unlikely things. We see an unlikely candidate, an unlikely interview, and an unlikely result. So we see an unlikely candidate. If you were going to choose a candidate to be your follower, your disciple, nobody in the ancient world, no Jew in the ancient world, would ever choose a tax collector. Tax collectors were among the most despised people in the ancient world. The ancient Jews believed that they, their homeland, they should have sovereignty over their homeland, that they should have their own governance. And so they longed for the days of David and Solomon when there was a united kingdom. They longed for the days when Israel would regain its sense of prominence. But it wasn't the case. The Romans were in charge, and the Romans heavily taxed them. And the tax collectors were Usually, often Jews, who would work for the Roman occupation. So many people believe they were traitors. They didn't abide by the Old Testament law. They believe, most people believe they didn't abide by the Old Testament law because during that time frame, it was believed that earnest followers of the law wouldn't do, have dealings with Gentiles. James Edwards, a scholar, numbers, notes a number of other attributes about tax collectors. He says a Jew who collected taxes was disqualified as a judge or a witness in court, expelled from the synagogue, and a cause of disgrace to his family. The touch of a tax collector rendered a house unclean. Jews were forbidden to receive money and even alms from tax collectors since revenue from tax collectors was deemed robber- robbery. It got their beliefs about tax collectors were so bad that the two leading rabbis during that time frame who basically disagreed about everything they agreed on the fact that tax collectors were so bad that it was morally justifiable to lie to them that you could deceive a tax collector because they were so bad a few weeks ago we looked at the call of simon and andrew and jesus comes to simon comes to simon and andrew who were fishermen and we saw that they were unqualified they were not the people that the world would choose But in this situation, with the calling of Levi, not only is Levi unqualified, but he's patently immoral. He's unqualified and he's immoral. At least about Simon and Andrew, we could say, well, yes, they were fishermen, but they were decent folks after all. Not so with Levi. He was unqualified and he was immoral. That's the person that Jesus chose to follow him. And Jesus does the same thing today. Not only does He choose people who we might consider to be decent people, but people who we might consider to be the most horrible people. He calls people from all different walks of life, people who are unqualified, who are immoral. Those are the people that God chooses. So He chooses an unlikely candidate. And then there's also an unlikely interview. Imagine that you are applying for a job and They receive your application and then you call in for an interview and you walk into the door of the hiring manager's office and after some pleasantries, he says to you, "Well, I have one question for you and one question for you only. Will you take the job? I mean, you've rehearsed all these things, all these possible questions that he might ask you, but all he asks you is, will you take the job? It would kind of it would probably blow your mind and think well is is he just looking for anybody to fill this position but that's what Jesus does he doesn't come to him and ask him you know what your background is how much of the law do you know he just comes to him and he says follow me follow me it's an unlikely interview you might have expected Jesus to come to him and say all right, you're, you're a really bad guy and you're a tax collector and so what I want you to do is I want you to leave your job being a tax collector I want you to find a different occupation and I want you to thoroughly repent of what you've done and then after you've done that and you've shown yourself and proved yourself, then you can follow me. But that's not what Jesus does. He says, follow me. And then in the process, Jesus is the one who changes him. I think many people have an understanding of Christianity that's like that. Many people think that you have to improve yourself. That you have to clean up your act before you come to Christ. That you have to fix your addiction or start reading the Bible, start doing good things. But Jesus doesn't operate that way. He comes to us in grace. He offers us a relationship with Him first. He says, follow me. And then after that comes the change. For example, remember the story of Zacchaeus who was also a tax collector, a chief of tax collectors. Jesus comes and Zacchaeus can't see him because there's this big crowd. And then Zacchaeus climbs up in a tree. And then Jesus comes and he says, Zacchaeus, come down for I'm, gonna co- I'm coming to your house. And then he comes, Jesus comes to his house, and then after that, Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give a half of everything that I have to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to pay them back fourfold. It's a response to grace. Note, Note that Jesus doesn't come to him and say, Zacchaeus, if I'm going to come to your house, you need to give away half of your possessions. You need to repay anyone who did wrong fourfold, and then after that I'll come to your house, and then after that you can follow me. Now his acceptance, his grace came first. When I was in seminary I was looking for a part-time job, and there was a few part-time jobs that were available, and one of them was with uh, media services. And so I applied to work at media services, and I remember going to the interview, and uh, I clearly was not cut out for the job. I clearly didn't have the experience to be a media technician. I remember telling the person in my interview, I remember telling him that I I knew how to work an iPod. And he told me, he's like, basically, most of the people who work here have a lot more experience than you. But he, for some reason, I'm not really sure still why, he chose to hire me. And then after he hired me, he began to make me into a media technician. He began to teach me, to show me how to, how to do things. And the same is true with Jesus. He doesn't choose us because we have our act together, because we're righteous, because we have something to offer, uh, offer him. He comes to us in grace. They ask one question, follow me of course, if we're going to follow Him, we have to leave our whole life behind. We have to be willing to change. Matthew had to leave his tax collector booth to follow after Jesus. But that one question is the only thing that mattered. Jesus says, will you follow Me? Will you have a relationship with Me? And if you have a relationship with Me, that's going to change everything. I'm going to be the one that changes you. So we see an unlikely candidate, an unlikely interview. And then we see finally an unlikely result. We see two different responses to what Jesus does. We see on the one hand, we see joyful acceptance by the sinners, by the tax collectors. Levi gets up from his tax collector's station and follows immediately after Jesus. It's remarkable when you think about it. I mean, Levi wasn't a devout Jew. He wasn't a devout follower of the law. He was an immoral person. But Jesus comes to him and offers him a new life and immediately he gets up and follows after him. But not only that, we see that many sinners and tax collectors are are following Jesus. Levi invites Jesus, it appears, to a dinner. Some scholars believe that it was a banquet given the details or a party. And Jesus is there with all the sinners and the tax collectors. And they feel welcomed. And so they joyfully accept His ministry. They joyfully accept His invitation. But then on the other hand, we have some grumbling. Just like last week, we saw the scribes grumbling against Jesus. Now they're again grumbling against Jesus. This time because He's hanging around with tax collectors and sinners. Surely if He was a true rabbi, Surely if He knew what type of people these people were, He wouldn't associate with them. Last, last week, we saw that the scribes were grumbling in their own hearts. They didn't even communicate it. This time, they're not bringing their concerns to Jesus. They're bringing their concerns to Jesus' disciples. And you can tell they probably weren't sincerely questioning. They probably weren't really looking for an answer to this question. They just were trying to condemn Jesus. If He was the Son of God, if He was a true rabbi, He wouldn't do this. They don't even come to Jesus directly. I mean, how how easy is that to do? I mean, we do that sometimes now. How easy it is to go and talk to somebody else. Talk bad about somebody else rather than going to them directly. There's no consequences. No obvious consequences. There's no backlash. No potential for conflict. We can just complain about somebody and Feel like there's no consequences. But Jesus hears about this and he speaks directly to them in their situation. He says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. When Jesus is saying this, I don't believe that he's saying, Okay, you scribes are healthy. You scribes understand what's going on, so you don't need my help. He's not saying, okay, I'm going to go help those who are less fortunate than you. He's saying, I've come to help those who know that they need help. Those who know that they need to change. The sinners, the tax collectors, they knew that they had a problem. They knew that they needed to change. And Jesus says, I'm coming for those people who know that they need me in their life. So we see, see two responses to grace. And they're unexpected in that we would think that the scribes would be the ones who were accepting Jesus' message. But it's reversed. The scribes are grumbling, and the sinners and the tax collectors are accepting Him and His message. So we see an unlikely candidate, an unlikely interview, and an unlikely result. So how do we sum this up? How do we encapsulate this into one main idea? I think we can do it this way. Jesus chooses to invite broken people to know Him and to join Him on His mission. Jesus chooses to invite broken people to know Him and to join Him on His mission. So there are probably a few different types of people who are here today. Some have not answered the first call to know Jesus. Maybe it's because you have kind of a religious background. Maybe you're like the scribes who felt like they had it all together, that they didn't need a physician. But the truth is that our condition was so bad that Jesus had to come to the earth to die on the cross for us. That we were so broken that it demanded the life of the Son of God. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says that we were dead in our trespasses. That we're spiritually dead apart from Christ. Christ. And so Jesus comes to us who are spiritually dead and He asks us one question, will you follow after Me? Will you follow after Me so that you might know Me and have a relationship with Me? And so the first question is, have you made a commitment to follow after Christ? Do you know Christ? And if you haven't done that, I'd love to talk to you after the service about how to enter into a relationship with Christ. Others maybe. You've accepted Christ, you know Christ, but you haven't accepted the call to join him on his mission. You haven't accepted the call to join him on his mission. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that Jesus takes us as broken people, he meets us at our point of need, he shows us grace, and then we follow him. And as we follow him, he transforms us through his Holy Spirit, he makes us new. But the beautiful thing is that after we follow after Him, after He makes us new, He calls us to return to the brokenness. He calls us to return to minister to those who are in the place that we were, to minister to those who are hurting, to minister to those who are far from God. It's a beautiful thing when we see that God heals us, and then He calls us to help those who are broken. In his book, The Best-Kept Secret of Christian Mission, Australian author John Dixon writes about his introduction to the Christian faith. And he writes about how somebody was that kind of friend to him. How Somebody reached out to him in his brokenness. So I'll read what he says. He says, Under God, my own conversion was the result of one person's willingness to embody the mission of the friend of sinners. One of the relics of Australia's Christian heritage is the once-a-week scripture lesson offered in many state high schools around the country. One of these scripture teachers, Glenda was her name, had the courage to invite my entire class to her home for discussions about God. The invitation would have gone unnoticed except that she added, if anyone gets hungry, I'll be making hamburgers, milkshakes, and scones. As I looked around the room at all my friends, all skeptics like me, I was amazed that this woman would open her home and kitchen to us. Some of the lads were among the worst sinners in our school. One was a drug user and seller, one was a class clown and bully, and one was a petty thief with a string of breaking and entering charges to his credit. I could not figure Brenda out. She was wealthy and intelligent. She had an inciting social life, married to a leading Australian businessman. What was she thinking, inviting us for a meal and discussion? At no point was this teacher pushy or preachy. Her style was completely relaxed and incredibly generous. When her VCR went missing one day, she made almost nothing of it, even though she suspected quite reasonably it was someone from our group. For me, her open, flexible, generous attitude towards us sinners was the doorway into a life of faith. As we ate and drank and talked, it was clear this was no missionary ploy on her part. She truly cared for us and treated us like friends, or perhaps more accurately, like sons. As a result, over the course of the next year, she introduced several of us from the class to the ultimate friend of sinners, Jesus. So have you joined Jesus on His mission of reaching a broken world? Or are we living a country club kind of Christian life? Just kind of going through the motions, going to church, enjoying our Christian friendship, but not reaching out to the world. There's nothing more powerful than a person that's been changed by the gospel. There's nothing more powerful of a te- than a testimony of a person who was broken that Jesus made whole. Satan would love more than anything to keep us ineffective. He loves more than anything a Christian who knows the truth, who knows the gospel, but is useless for the kingdom of God. But Jesus invites us to follow Him. To know Him and to join him on his mission of reaching a broken world. Jesus chooses to invite people, broken people, to know him and to join him on his mission. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you don't operate like the world operates. That you don't seek people who have it all together or perfect or righteous, but you come and choose to Invite broken people to enter into a relationship with You. God, I pray for anybody here who doesn't know You. God, I pray that today would be the day that they turn from their sins and trust in You by faith. God, I pray for the rest of us. and Maybe some of us haven't responded to that call to be involved in Christ's mission of reaching a broken world. God, I just pray that we would say yes to You. That we would follow You wherever You would take us that we would follow you to brokenness, that we would follow you, that we could share your love with those around us, to share your love with the world that's hurting and the world that's dying. God, we just pray that you would give us the strength to follow you, and that as we follow you, you would change us and make us more into your image. In Christ's name I pray, amen.